This psalm that we're going to go through this morning is one that uh, means a lot to me for a lot of different reasons. Hopefully that it will touch your heart like it's touched mine. Have you had those times in your life when you're going through something and whatever you're going through is is troubling? You're like, I, I can't figure out why I'm here, why I'm going through this. Where is God? What got me here? What's going to get me out? And you're just confused. Anyone go go through that? There's so many people that when they first become believers, you know, will tell people, will say, well, listen, God loves you, and he's got a great plan for your life. And they're, they're, they think it's like, let's make a deal. I open up the door, and I, get, I just get a, a cruise through life. And then all of a sudden, hardship hits, and they go, well, where is this good God that loves me and has this good plan? And, and it, it sends us into a tailspin. But how many of you have gone through something that's been very difficult and then you've realized that that point is the thing that helps you become more like him or help him know more. It's, is it not true that for most of us, it's those low points, we don't like them, but they produce good fruit, right? But it, during the time that you're going through it, it's agony. You're just like, I can't, but it's, it's the reason we have sayings like hindsight is 
2020. Because you look back and you go, oh, now I see. Or we have another line that we like to say, oh, that happened for a reason. And you kind of, you just, it, it clicks. And so what, as we're going through this psalm, what's happening is King David is looking through the rearview mirror of his life. So open up to Psalm 139. I'll also have the verses on the screen. But as you go there, I just want to tell you about one of my experiences. When I first met the Lord, um, the guy that led me to the Lord was a student worker. All he told me, he kind of came and, and, and he said, Hey, Mark, would you like to become a Christian? And I, I kind of like, tell me more. And he goes, well, listen, if, if you want to become a believer, all you need to know is just ask Jesus in your heart. That's all he said. And then he threw me through a loop. He said, do you want to pray right now? And I was like, oh, blah, 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 sure. And he bowed his head. So I, I bowed my head, but I kept my eyes open because I didn't know the whole close your eyes thing. And I wanted to keep my eye on this guy because I wasn't quite sure what he's up to. And he, he's praying. But as he's praying, all of a sudden, I feel the presence of the Lord in a, very, in a way that I, I, I you know, I, if someone were to ask me, do you believe there's a God? I, I would have said, yeah, probably, but I don't know where he is. And, and then there was this real clear sense. And so I closed my eyes, and when I closed my eyes, it was like I was starting to see my prior life play in a movie. And I, and I saw places where I should have been done. I should have died. Several times when I was a kid, I should have drowned. You know, I wasn't the brightest kid, not the sharpest tool in the shed. And so at two years old, I go toddling off the deep end in the pool. And it's at a big party. Everyone's inside and sink like a rock. And my mom, at the exact moment, turns around and says, where's Mark? And then she just automatically goes right to the pool, and there's Mark in the bottom of the pool. So they fished me out. But not to be outdone, that next summer, I walked off the end of the dock into the deep end of the lake. And it's like, what's wrong with you? But I'm seeing this, and, and I'm seeing all these different times, times when in my junior year, I was in a really dark time. I honestly, to be honest with you, I, I had planned to take my life. I had the letter written. I had the strategy. And at that moment, I should have recognized that God was intervening, but I didn't. But he was. He's what turned it around. And then I went to college, and I had several overdoses. I fell out of a third-story window. I got in car accidents, motorcycle accidents. And I'm seeing all these different things and thinking, I should be gone. And then my response was, well, Lord, if you want this wreck of a life, it's yours. You'll do a much better job driving than I've been doing. And I, so I surrendered. But at that moment, there was clarity, and I realized there must be a reason I'm here. It was really clear to me. There must be a reason. And I remember the unfolding then of understanding. And I remember someone asking me, uh, you know, are you, are you going to keep working on college campuses? And I said, no, I think I need to work for God. I didn't even know what to call it. And they go, oh do, you, oh, do you mean like a priest? And I said, no, I don't think a priest. That didn't sound cool. They said, a pastor? I said, maybe that. What does a pastor do? I said, well, this is what they do. And I said, I think that's probably it. And this psalm that we're going to open up is a psalm of clarity because what's happened is it's written after the time that David finally is set in and established as the king of Israel. It's been 15 years, people, since he was anointed to be the king. And it's been a long, hard, tough ride. Because during those years, he had a crazy king 
with a full-on army chasing him around the earth to kind of finish him. And so all of a sudden, all those hardships, all those tough times to try to understand, they're in the past, and David's having a rearview moment, and he goes, I see what God has been doing in my life. There's a purpose for it. And it's an aha moment, and he's, he, he's clear on it. And so as David begins, what he says in the, in the start is, Lord, you see me. You saw me then. You see me now. In the depth of his understanding, when I was getting the revelation, when I was praying that prayer of salvation, I realized God, God knows this. He sees this. He's not unaware. And it was hitting me with a depth of clarity. And David's life is, is unfolding, and he's, he's realizing God really sees me. So he says, Lord, you search me. And you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. That's kind of scary, isn't it? You discern my going out and lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty. It blows my mind, is basically what David is saying. In we can be in these times, and maybe you are right now, where life is not making sense. And you wonder, where is this God who loves me, who has a plan for me? Where is this God? Is, is, he, is he seeing what's going on right now? And so we have this written word, we have this testimony that reminds us, yes, in those moments when we can't see in those moments when we're not so sure. And it's interesting that our founding fathers created a seal that if you take out a $1 bill and you look at the back, you'll see this seal. And it, for some people, it kind of creeps them out, like, what on earth is that? And some people will say, well, this, this is because, you know, they, they get the whole mason idea going on, and the masons weren't formed when the seal was made. You see, the founding fathers wanted us to realize something. And they knew because of their stories. They had a rough road, did they not? Life in England was not easy. Coming here was not easy. Lives were lost. There was a price to be paid. And one of the things that kept the founding fathers going is there is a sovereign God who sees. And they wanted us to remember. So they mark it on the money where there's, there's this... You know, albeit it's kind of weird, but there's the, there's the eye of God that sees everything. A reminder that God is all-seeing, and he's watching. And he's here this morning, and he's looking on us, and he's looking in us. The psalmist goes on to say, or in the scripture goes on to say 469 times, Something like this, a reminder that God sees and God's with us. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. Why? Because the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. 460, it's, it's said to be the most off-spoken promise of God to his people. I am here with you. I'm here, present. Therefore, don't be afraid. 
Don't be worried. Later on at the end of the psalm, the, the psalmist is going to talk about being anxious. When we're not aware that God has got it, that God's with us, that God sees, that God can work all things together for good, when we lose sight of that, we become anxious. In fact, I'm surprised in my life how familiar anxiety feels. I'm usually pretty aware of the fact that to do this job to which I feel called, I feel totally inadequate. And it's weird because I've been doing it for three decades. You think at a certain point in time, you know, you'd have this sense of proficiency. I, I, don't, I can't seem to get that. I count it a blessing now because it helps me to know my dependence. But what happens to me, to be honest with you, like the, the other week I was going to do a wedding and I all of a sudden ran into my own insecurities. Do you ever get that where you think, oh, what if the people don't like me? What if they don't listen to me? What if the couple frowns the whole time because they just don't like what I'm doing as a parent? You know, do you ever get into that where your mind just does weird stuff and you, and you find yourself creating these huge Godzilla-like things that, really, Mark? Do you think the couple's like just going to walk off because they don't like you as a pastor? You know, it's, what? Where does that come from? And I realize as, I, as I'm thinking about the weird mind of Mark Spencer that I hadn't really asked the Lord to help me be aware of his presence. So I said, you know what, Lord? Sorry about that. Would you help me be aware of your presence with me? Totally different. Anxiety gone. I felt free. I was actually kind of funny. And I thought, when I got done, I was driving home, and I go, that was really kind of cool, Jesus. Thanks for hanging out. But how often do we go through life not keenly aware of the fact he's with us? He's for us. Talk to me, people. How, how often? Often. I'm a pastor. I'm confessing to you. Their whole days can pass. And I think, oh boy, I didn't ask the two questions that we're always nagging you about. Lord, what are you saying? How should I respond? I'm just being honest. And you know what I notice at the end of those days? My soul's unraveled. I'm coming apart. Does that happen to you? And so we need to have this revelation that, that this God says over and over and over again, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. And man, I struggle with fear. And so the psalmist is continuing to have this revelation because he's in a new place. And, and sometimes when God brings you into a settled place and he brings you there, you, just, you get a chance to kind of look back and start to make sense of the journey along the way. And he, he all of a sudden explodes. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, of course, you're there, Right? If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will not shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. And he's realizing there isn't any place that I could be taken any place that I could wander, any place that I could go, 
God couldn't see me. That God wouldn't see me. That God's presence couldn't be there. And we need to live in that reality. We need to live in that. We need to have aha where we go, right. The revelation continues for David, and he realizes in a deep way, he says, Lord, you created me. In the inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Why? Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full way. Your, your frame, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In other words, he was intimately involved from the start and who we are, and how we are. Sometimes I say to God, I'm learning to like me, but does there need to be so much of me? You know, you could maybe take some of it back, and I'll, you know, but I'm for, I don't think God had much to do with that. I think Mark Spencer had a lot to do with that. But we, 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 we have a love-hate thing with, with who we are sometimes. Do you guys remember Farrah Fawcett? Remember her? She was the, the, the girl, um, you know, that all of a sudden started the whole poster craze. You know, and, um, I didn't have one of those, just to tell you. My roommate did, though. But anyhow, <laughs> we were watching Johnny Carson one night, and Farrah Fawcett's on there. And she comes out, and she sits down, and, and Johnny Carson asks her, he says, what's it like to be the most beautiful woman in all the world? She said, I wouldn't know. And Carson was, you could just see he was absolutely dumbfounded. He goes, what do you mean? There's pictures of you everywhere. She goes, ooh, I know. And then she began to list. She goes, my mouth is too big and my teeth are too big. My eyes are too small and one of them is set wrong. And she began to list about 20 things wrong with Farrah Fawcett. What hope do we have? <laughs> but still there are moments where we like ourselves. We look in the mirror and we kind of go, you know, Mark Spencer? They're private moments. <laughs> kind of reenacted for you, but you know, you have those moments. And they have the moments where you really don't like you. You know, your my personality. Why am I so sensitive? Or, or, you know, why am I bald? Or, that really doesn't bother me. It's just kind of like, I'm not, if I was the only bald guy on the planet, I'd be worried. But, you know, there's other people, so we have a brotherhood. But, we have this love-hate thing going on, don't we? But what we lose sight of is the amazing creation that we are. And listen to this. Just, this is just a few things. Let, let your brain soak this in. Every second, more than 100,000 chemical reactions take place in your brain. Every second, 100,000. It has 10 billion nerve cells to record what you see and hear. The information comes through the miracle of your eye, largely, which has 100 million receptor cells in each eye. 100 million. Your retina has four other layers of nerve cells. Altogether, the system is an equivalent of 10 billion calculations a second before an, even, an image even gets to the optic nerve. So when you take in an image, there's these different cells. There's 10 billion calculations a second that's happening. Right there, right there, right there, right there. 
all happening effortlessly. It's just working the way God designed it to work. Your body is always regulating. You know, we say 98.6 degrees. As, it, as it's doing that, there, your one square inch of your, your skin, your sensory system, one square inch has 625 sweat glands. Kind of gross. 19 feet of blood vessels, 19,000 sensory cells. That's just one square inch of your skin. Your stomach has 35 million glands which secrete the right amount of juice to allow your body to digest and not eat its stomach, which is also kind of gross, but amazing. You have more than 200 bones that are each shaped uniquely for its function. They're connected together. There's lubricated joints. Science cannot figure out how it does it. When I had my hips replaced, you know what my orthopedic surgeon told me? He said, your titanium hip replacement cannot mock the tensile strength of a natural femur. A natural femur is 10 times stronger than titanium. Yikes. You've got all kinds of things that are going on in your heart and in your mind right now as you're listening. Your heart itself is beating 103,000 times a day. It pumps the blood cells a distance of 168 million miles through all kinds of highways within your system. When you get down to the one little DNA molecule, the single human chromosome, one single chromosome contains 20 billion bits of information. 20 billion. How much is that? Well, if you were to get that and you were to reduce it down into being written volumes, books that you could read, each one of those would have a library of 4,000 books for one strand of DNA. You know what's amazing? The person that gave these statistics is a very bright person and scientist, Carl Sagan, but he does not believe in a creator. How can you hear that and think that that just happened? It just somehow fell into place. The guy that's working right now at several different MIT, Harvard, he's got a union of things. He's trying to create a computerized brain. It's been his dream all of his life. He says, light years away. Every time that they think they have nailed down a pathway in your brain that they can replicate in a computer, they find out that that pathway morphs so quickly, it's unexplainable, and machines can't keep up. You're going to tell me that that came out of a swamp spontaneously? I had a professor that used to say, imagine a 10 million piece jigsaw puzzle that you take and you just take it, you open the box top and you just throw it up in the air as high as you can and those pieces all trickle down and they fall together jointly and fit together perfectly and there's not one minute piece and it lands one whole puzzle. Now I've done far too many jigsaw puzzles at Thanksgiving to know that that's not how that works. <laughs> right? I mean it's mind blowing and what, what, the, what the psalmist is saying is you know me, you created me That's how you built me, Lord. It's astounding, and his mind is blown. That's why he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. His mind is blown. That this almighty, ever-present, omniscient, 
I'm the powerful, all-knowing God is intimately involved with him. And he wraps up with two very important things that we need to take to heart this morning. We need to check our posture. If we buy into what the psalmist has said, if we believe that God's been intimately involved in your creation, that he sees you and he knows you, and there's no place you can go, there's two heart checks we need to do this morning. The first thing he says is, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and and see if there's any anxious thoughts. Do you realize in America, we are by far and away the most anxious nation on the face of the earth? Part of it's our lifestyle. Part of it's the pace. Part of it is the luxury that we have. Because with more stuff comes more anxiety to keep and hold and fix and all that. Clinically, one in four in America struggle with clinical anxiety. This is not a slam on that. When you're gripped by anxiety, there's nothing funny. There's nothing easy, and there's certainly nothing to be ashamed about. But when I study the American populace right now, we are all stuck in a place where we are living in a rat race. We are not meant to work 60 hours a week. We're not meant to sit in chairs for more than 10 hours straight. We're not meant to have all these electronic flashes of screens and TVs and and billboards and all kinds of things flashing at us, phones beeping at us, and our nervous system never gets to rest because it's all that creates anxiety. And if you don't learn when Jesus says, hey, any of you out there that are weary and heavy laden, Come over here. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke's easy. My burden's light. Walk with me. He says, learn of me. In other words, stay with me. And I'll tell you, in my life, my level of anxiety is proportional to my level of connectedness. When I'm connected with God, I'm settled. And when I'm not, egads. You poor people have to put up with me. I mean, so the psalmist says, you've got to listen to what I'm writing. And you need to let the Lord check your heart to see, where are you anxious? Where are you trying to do the job of God? Where are you running too hard? Where are you thinking you've got to hold it all together? Oh, man. Oh, man. And then he says, one more thing that we need to check. See if there's any offensive way in me. Now, the Hebrew word means here, see if there's any idols. Now, think about David's place, what he's been through. Think about how easy it would have been for David to recreate God in a different image according to his experience. He's got a crazy king after him trying to kill him just because this prophet poured oil on his head and said, he's the next king. God, you got me into this whole thing. And he's running, running, running. He can't sleep at night. He's, he's driven into dangerous foreign lands. It'd be so easy for him to make God into the image of that. Oh, yeah, you're not a God who sees. Look at me. Oh, yeah, you're not a God that loves me and has a plan for me. 
Look at me. And what the psalmist is saying is, open up and let God in there and let God be God and tell you who he really is. Don't let the experience of your life define who God is and isn't. That's what he's saying. There are so many places in my life where I'm trusting in something where I shouldn't be trusting. I shouldn't put my hope in that. So oftentimes I put my hope in my, my little abilities and I think, what is that? Sometimes I'm putting my hope in the fact that I can create space. I can go into hiding. But I've just read that there's no place I can go that he's not. Hmm. So I might as well just say, here I am. Would you please give me some glasses so I see you the way I need to see you? There was a guy a while ago named Nicholas Herman. He worked in the food industry, was a short order cook and a bottle washer. He was dissatisfied with his life. He said, is this all there is? Is there anything more? I thought there'd be something more from my life. And one day when he was walking in the woods and he stopped and he looked at the tree and he saw the tree and he saw that tree is doing what trees do. It's rooted. It's grounded. It's a tree. It's happy being a tree. It's not disgruntled. It's not saying, God, why are you made me a tree? Not doing that. And he studied this tree and he stared at it and he goes, that's, that's what I need to settle in. I need to settle on. I need to settle with God. And I'm going to make a commitment that every second of every moment, of every hour, of every day, I'm going to keep a constant conversation with God because he is with me. And Nick became who we know today as Brother Lawrence, the man who wrote Practicing the Presence of God, one of the most read books ever. Have you read it? If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. You can, you can download it free, PDF, if you just Google Practicing the Presence. It's copyright free. You can get a copy. But what Brother Lawrence did was he began to, when he would peel potatoes, he would talk to God. He would relate to God. He would peel potatoes onto the glory of God, however you do that. But the sense of joy and the sense of presence, one person said, the good brother, he found God everywhere all the time. How about us? When you step out at the end of this service and you head out to the foyer, down the hall, or in the cafe, will you walk with a keen sense of God being with you? When you step into a new conversation, how aware of you is God's presence there? God's presence with that person and God's presence with you. When you're confronted with a trying situation, do you lean back into all the memories, all the times where God did make it clear to you, oh, he was there. Oh, he was there. Oh, he had this. Oh, he fixed this. Oh, he saved this. Do you lean into it? So I want to invite you as we do the offering to offer the Lord access, to fling wide the doors of your heart and say, Lord, would you search me and see if there's any anxious way? What am I nervous about? 
And Lord, would you also search and make sure that my image of you is what it should be? Should be fixed on where it should be? Because then, when you're known, you know. So we're going to sing the psalm to you. I invite you to listen. Thank you, Lord. Precious to me are your thoughts, O oh Lord. How vast is the sum of them? They would outnumber the grains of If I were to 